This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. And good afternoon, good afternoon to the beautiful city of London. Charlie Paladin for Jonathan Farrow on a Tuesday. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio, just gone 5 p.m. And we are now looking at a mixed day for U.S. equities here. We have got to European stocks higher. The Dow up barely, giving up earlier gains. It is now flat on the day. S&P has turned negative, down three points, down by about one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ down six, a drop there of one-tenth of one percent. Uh, the takeaway, though, stocks churning near records, Treasury yields climbing as investors assess the latest developments from the Trump administration's trade policies. And that is our top story today. The U.S. and Mexico are working on a new trade deal that will replace NAFTA. President Trump announcing the agreement in a call yesterday with his Mexican counterpart. This is something that's very special for our manufacturers and for our farmers from both countries, for all of the people that work for jobs. It's also great trade, and it it makes it a much more fair bill, and we are very, very excited about it. So the focus clearly on Mexico, but President Trump is speaking to Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. The White House says they agreed to continue what were called, quote, productive conversations on trade. Well, joining us now to talk about the overall trade picture in Europe, the United States, Mexico, and possibly if we have time, what's happening with China. Marcus Ashworth is with us, a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, also a longtime friend of the program, Ken Vexler, director at Acumen Management. Gentlemen, welcome to the program on a Tuesday. First of all, Marcus Ashworth, let me talk about U.S. equity market reaction for much of the session here in the United States. Indeed, the FTSE up today by five-tenths of one percent. The trade had been higher for equities, both in the U.K. and the U.S. Uh, Marcus, is this all about perceived progress on NAFTA or is something else driving the equity market today? I think it's mostly trade. Um, I think that's the, um, the, the the biggest win, if that's what you want to call it, uh, of the day in a sense, some sense of progress on, on what's been an uh, uh, obvious uh, source of, of, of bone of contention. I mean, there's a read-through, as you as you might we were aware that a lot of the sort of so-called deal is actually pretty much anti-China. So, uh, in, in the way it's constructed, so it's as, as much about China as it is about Mexico, actually. Um, and of course, then the big uh, hole there is what, what, how Canada fits in, which one presumes it might ought to. Have which, to. Which, which indeed is a developing, unfolding story as we speak. But uh, Ken, from your perspective, the move higher for equities, in your view, all about trade. Look, I think it's a general tone of yeah, positivity. However fleeting that may be, remains to be seen. But ultimately, if you've got the U.S. doing moderately well, then you've got Europe, you know, looking to tow along. Data this morning out of Europe uh, has been fairly good, uh, mixed, but shows signs of improvement overall. So, as a whole, uh, plus the uh, the trade news. Um, yeah, should should give as it, as it has given a bit of a lift. Yeah, Cam. What are the next big questions then about trade? Look, for me, I think the market seems to be somewhat maybe complacent, if not a little sanguine, on what uh, Canada brings to the table, or rather how difficult the U.S. is going to make it for Canada to bring anything to the table. The market reacted yesterday on the back of seemingly a bilateral agreement between uh, the U.S. and Mexico with glowing positivity, you know, thinking that 
this NAFTA you know, 2.0 is, is all but done. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, and I don't think that the bid that we've seen in, in Canadian equities and certainly in the Canadian dollar subsequent to that announcement yesterday is entirely justified. I think there are going to be a lot more sticking points uh, between Canada and the US to make this a reality than, than most people for the time being uh, give credit to. So let's see how the next few days unfold. Yeah, Marcus, given the, the history of the two nations, the United States and, uh, and Canada, and the historically very close relations that the two neighbors have had, has the well been poisoned as a result of the Trump administration and these negotiations with trade? Can the two countries move beyond this? Ha! Um, well, I think Trump is in no rush to uh, be overly friendly to Trudeau after a couple of comments that went came back from Trudeau. And uh, we shall see. But I mean, I think that the point is, is that to make Canada and the US make up should be very straightforward, very simple, done in one phone call type thing. So whether, how long it lasts is is one thing. I don't think um, there's there's just too much for everyone at stake. And, and it's a question of time. At one point, uh, this will end anyway. So um, at that stage, I, I don't read too much into the Canada-US stuff because there's just too much. Yeah, Ken, clearly then progress is being made at least uh, with the United States and Mexico. Looks like we're moving forward, at least talking uh, with Canada. Uh, How much did Europe set the stage earlier this summer with negotiations there? Did that perhaps uh, indicate that uh, with tough talk, ultimately there will be some sort of an agreement reached with the Trump administration and the United States and that we can move forward? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that one can be used as a template for the other. I mean, we've seen in, in the two years that Trump has been uh, in, in the administration and has been running things that, you know, he tends to uh, yell loudly and carry a, not a, not a, a small stick, but a, a moderately sized stick. Um, and, and there seems to be a, a lot of climb back from the initial headlines and tweets that do the rounds. Um, Europe, you know, made a deal of sorts. Uh, but it has to be understood that those circumstances and, and the deal that Europe had made with the U.S. does differ, uh, not insignificantly, from the NAFTA, both the precursor and, and what we're looking at now. So I, I think it would it, be maybe a little bit uh, too easy or too lazy to compare the two. But certainly progress has been made, and we can't discount that because ultimately we have been sort of stalling for a number of months, as it were. Yeah, Marcus Ashworth, what's the next key development? Clearly, perhaps uh, the the ongoing talks now with Canada, that's the next thing to be watching as we move forward here? I think the next tweet's the thing to be watching. Who knows? <laughs> Google. Uh, yeah, it could it, it could literally be uh, be anything. But this, these, these are moving things. Obviously, we have a thing called the midterms coming up, and some wins are nice to get in. Um, and that's, I think, is what it's all about, is, is lots of big, flashy headlines, and, um, and hopefully that... Uh, that makes uh, an influence that Mr. Trump wants. The, uh, ultimately, is this all about China then, setting things up to get perhaps everybody on the same team against China and strike a deal there? That certainly was the initial start, you know, the reason why they pulled away from TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, in that sense, which uh, ironically is it's designed to keep China out. But the point is, is that he wanted to get it in a, in a, in a different way to start off with. Um, but, you know, there are many different facets to this, but... Um, you know, China is is the one he seems to be focusing the most on, and there's some very clear signals coming from the administration. They are not prepared to engage further with China until they get something thrown their way, a bone of some shape, form, or size. Uh, the Chinese are are clearly dragging their heels on that one, for I'm sure they're in good reasons. 
Um, and that's why he's pulled back from sort of directly fighting with with Europe slash therefore Germany uh, for the moment. But you know that this is that this is a, a long term. Uh, this is the main the main thing of of the, of the Trump presidency, and yeah. so it's you know there's going to be many more. Uh, Ken, very briefly, only about 30 seconds in this segment before we move on, but uh, anything in terms of your investment decisions? After all, we did see a move uh, uh, for the automakers, some of the transportation railroads that do business uh, between the United States and Mexico. Anything that perhaps you have benefited from, anything that has has interested you uh, in terms of markets as a result of these talks? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, ultimately the Canadian dollar, because as, as I mentioned earlier on, I think the market is a little too complacent and has probably mistaken progress made with Mexico for that which may be made with Canada. So I think at this point, <clears throat> any sort of purchases of the Canadian dollar that we've seen over the last 18 or so hours may be a bit premature. And I think uh, I think there might be some mean reversion there in the coming days as All we right. get... Yeah, mixed headlines. Fair enough. When we continue the conversation, I want to switch gears. Fascinating topic, economic links between Germany and Turkey. That's coming up as The Cable continues. You're listening to The Cable Live here on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. We are back as the cable continues. Uh, Marcus Ashworth with us, a Bloomberg Opinion a columnist out of London. Ken Vexler, director at Acumen Management, here to talk about a number of topics. I, I love these guys because you can throw anything at them. And uh, one of the topics that I found absolutely fascinating today reading on the Bloomberg, Germany and Turkey, they have got uh, a number of meetings coming up. Uh, Germany examining options for helping Turkey avoid economic uh, meltdown. But a government official says direct financial aid isn't one of them. That is will be discussed when German and Turkish economic and finance ministers uh, meet next month. Indeed, Germany planning to host President Erdogan for a state visit next month. Turkey, by the way, already dismissing any talk of a bailout. Marcus, let me begin with you, uh, our Bloomberg Opinion columnist. Germany and Turkey, let's look at the view from 35,000 feet. What are some of the bigger questions right now about the state of Turkey's economy? Well, um, it has... Um an unconventional leader whose economic policies are uh, foreign to the rest of market thinking, and that's the reason why there's been a huge sell-off in the currency and uh, related assets. Um, the key word here is, is no direct aid, so therefore what does indirect aid mean? That probably means some form of export financing. Uh, and one key aspect is the Turkish banks, and indeed Turkish corporates have got a huge amount of debt that needs to be rolled over, 25% of their outstanding, in fact, the next year. So someone's got to buy new bonds uh, or new, make new loans to, to Turkish entities, uh, obviously not the sovereign in this context. The sovereign is in a relatively good shape as far as debt to GDP, et cetera, is concerned. But you know there are problems clearly coming down the pipe. But for the moment, short term, there's nothing that Germany or indeed the IMF or anyone else can do to the Turkey needs, it needs to change its own way of, of thinking and its own economic policy. And, and that However, brings, uh, go ahead, finish the thought. No, just simply the point that, that, that there are one-year one loans made by a lot of uh, particularly European, particularly French and Italian, and some German banks to Turkish banks, which indeed then gets allows access for all those various banks into the Turkish corporate sphere. That's a very key area to watch. Yeah, Ken, how many of Turkey's or how much of Turkey's uh, economic issues are of their own making? Oh, I'd say the vast majority, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you've had a central bank that hasn't been allowed to uh, act as it was set up to do independently. You've had uh, 
a government that doesn't seem to understand how fiscal stimulus works and how too much of it and how deficits and current account deficits work. And as a consequence, yeah, I, I dare say that the vast majority of, of their woes are, are self, self-made and certainly self-perpetuated in the last X number of months. Yeah, and Ken, certainly these talks are going to be fascinating because you've got Turkey, who is a NATO ally. Turkey has also been willing to host Syrian refugees and keep them from moving to Europe. Immigration certainly a hot issue uh, in Germany. So clearly there's a lot more going on than just simple discussions about the state of the economy and the potential need for a bailout. Well, certainly, and, and beyond that, if you look at the uh, Turkish diaspora, it's, it's huge in Germany, for instance, and obviously all over Europe, but predominantly in Germany. So there, there are many, many close-knit ties between the two nations. But, yeah, I mean, without sort of pointing fingers and, and the like, you've got to ask yourself how much leverage does Turkey then have over the likes of, say, Germany for exactly that Syrian refugee uh, issue. I mean, what, what if they were then to turn around and say, well, actually, we're not going to be as uh, as malleable and as compliant and as willing as we have been thus far, you know, and in FX parlance, how you left. So, I mean, there, there are nuances to that uh, to that relationship. It's just a matter of how uh, how far Erdogan wants to push those. Yeah, Marcus, only about 15, 20 seconds here, but... Uh, is there reason for optimism as a result of these talks? Will uh, Turkey come away with something from Germany? Well, I think this is more about Merkel and Erdogan trying to send one across to Trump. And uh, they've, they've had bad relations themselves, and they can find some form of common ground here. Um, it's probably great, better, great news for Europe and, and, and some senses for, for Turkey as well. Will it resolve in much? I doubt it, though. All right. When we continue, Prime Minister May says the UK can still make a success of Brexit if it tumbles out of the European Union without a deal. Lots to talk about there as well. Marcus Ashworth with us, a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Ken Vexler, director at Acumen Management. The Cable continues. U.S. equity markets, they are now higher. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. In for Jonathan Farrow, and the cable continues. Uh, U.S. equities turning around, uh, really, in the past 18 minutes or so. They are higher across the board. FTSE 100 up today by five tenths of 1%. Pullback for crude oil uh, have been flirting around $69 a barrel in the United States. Brent uh, have been close to 77 but a pullback now. Brent down two tenths of 1%. West Texas Intermediate down uh, about five tenths of 1%. The tenure down 7.30 seconds with a yield of 2.87%. We are back with Marcus, uh, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Ken Vexler, director at Acumen Management. The story that keeps on giving on both sides of the Atlantic, and that is uh, Brexit. Uh, Ken Vexler, I was listening to the news report there, and uh, the quote that uh, jumped out is, making a success of a no-deal Brexit. How is that possible, to turn something like that into oh. a success? I mean, get 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 long of baseball helmets and dogs and canned goods, and you know, make the best. It's not that bad. Bottled water starters. Yeah, bottled water. Look, ultimately, look. I I, despite the fact that I think it's utterly ludicrous, I can't understand where Theresa May is coming from. I mean, what's she really going to say? That this is it, folks. Uh, We, you know, hard Brexit. No, you know, no deal. And it's all over, the sky will fall. She can clearly not say that, nor will that obviously eventuate. But by the same token, she has to remain upbeat. She has to tell the nation that she's leading, that everything will be fine one way or another, and we'll make the best of it. 
because you know we're Brits. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, take her at a word, I suppose, but yeah. good luck. And, and Marcus Ashworth, in terms of the good luck department, there are so many unresolved key issues that are unbelievably complicated that have yet to be worked out. One of them is why on earth was she trying to dance today? I mean, I don't know if you've seen the video of her, but it's truly really possibly the most cringe-making thing I've seen for a very long while. Uh, and our whole attempt to be sort of literally down with the kids was uh, was indicative perhaps of the whole Brexit process. She has no idea what she's doing. And um, she tacks left to to keep the uh, Romaniacs on side. She tacks right to keep the, you know, uh, ultras, as, as, as some people call them, but the Brexiteer crowd happy. You know, her chancellor said said something, uh, you know, akin to the Treasury's project fear. She's had to counterbalance that, otherwise she's going to lose people off the, off, off her side. She's trying, as Ken said, she's trying to keep everyone, you know, on the same page, at least for as long as she can. It's going to be, you know, a, a, an ugly scenario. Everyone knows it. Um, but does it actually really mean as bad as people think? Well, no one knows. Literally no one knows. And there's no point trying to get too... Um, prescriptive about it all, but you know the, the the high likelihood it's on everyone's benefit to get a deal of some shape, form, or size. It won't be the the end result because this will go on for many decades, um, and it probably won't be uh, keep anyone happy. But nonetheless, as long as it doesn't offend too many people all at the same time, maybe there will be some form of deal, and that's probably all she can hope for. Right, well, Ken, she has said that no deal is better than bad outcomes. Is that is that really the case? Do you buy that? Uh, well, it all depends on what you define as a bad outcome and what a no deal actually looks like. I mean, you know, at this point we're dealing in absolute hypotheticals. So I, I can tell you that the moon is made of cheese, which is better than the sea being made of gold. Is it? And, you know, okay. I mean, look, it's it's political sound bites and utter nonsense. And until we are dealt the hand of reality and know what's what and how we're living through it, how are you going to judge any of it? I mean, it's nonsense. Yeah, and Marcus, the other fascinating story here is we've got Britain looking more to Africa for trade. Indeed, the U.K. wants to become the top foreign investment in Africa. Uh, that is part of uh, Prime Minister May's trip right now, five nations. Smart move. Is there eventually going to be gold at the end of this rainbow? Look, there are uh, obvious some uh, Commonwealth connections. Uh, China seems to be putting a bit of away from certain of its investments in in. Africa, particularly in uh, Zambia and uh, one or two others. So, you know, a lot of money's been lost in, in recent years uh, trying to invest in um, African um, resource-driven economies. And there are ways and means, of course, that uh, Britain needs to make itself more open uh, as the growth in, in, in Africa is so much stronger than, for instance, say, in Europe. Um, there's quite a lower level of intransigence, perhaps, in Africa um, than there is in Europe, but that comes with a lot of other problems. Um, and namely corruption and a, ra a whole raft of other financing issues. So you know, this is this is part of her smile, go around and, and aren't, we, aren't we open to the world type stuff? You know, really, it, it's about as lame as the rest of the stuff is, is, is unfortunate at the moment. And I should mention that Marcus is a Bloomberg opinion columnist. And uh, the question for you, Ken, just in terms of uh, trying to strike these trade deals, trying to find new markets in Africa, is this really about expanding the UK economy's role in Africa? Or is this perhaps more about trying to find additional trading partners beyond Europe? These are not going to be additional trading partners because if if there is a you know a hard Brexit or or whatever no deal scenario is uh, this isn't in addition to this will be in replacement of so you're going to be trying to fill the 
a hole worth about 240 yards annually with bits and pieces that you might scavenge around from the cushions in the couch. Uh, that's what it really is. So best of luck to her because that's a massive hole that's going to be in need of filling. Yeah, and sound, I don't think it's anything more than that, to be honest. You sound extremely skeptical. <laughs> what gave it away, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. Marcus, is, is, is there going to be a strategy here that will pay off looking to Africa as opposed to Europe? Look, as I said, it's just a distraction because she's got to look like they're doing something and trying their best. And, and of course, they should do anyway, regardless of that. I mean, the world is out there and uh, never more important in the context of if you have a complete intransigent EU or refuse to, to deal any on their own terms, there will be some form of no deal and a hard Brexit. Um, but then everyone will snap to their realities. There is a transition period. Um, 80 to 90 percent of this stuff is already agreed. So really, we shouldn't get too... Uh, histrionic about it all because we don't actually know what's going to happen. Normally these things get done on the 11th hour. We have to hope that will be the case. But obviously, you know, to, to sort of please the the backbenches and, 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 the, and the crowds, there has to be some form of, of, of semblance of, okay, what are you looking at uh, for the future? What happens next? So these are, these are good, healthy things to do from time to time. But unfortunately, they, they come bigger in magnitude than they really are worth because it's silly season. Indeed. <laughs> Clock is ticking, March 29th. I want to thank you both. Always a pleasure having you guys on the program. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion columnist in London. Ken Vexler also uh, talking to us from London, director at Acumen Management. U.S. stocks are trading mixed. FTSE 100 up five-tenths of 1%. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. And the cable continues right here on DAB. Charlie Pellet in for Jonathan Farrow, and we thank you very much for joining us. Lots going on. We've got U.S. equities trading mixed right now. S&P uh, holding close to that record. 28.96 was above 2,900. Uh, little change right now. The Dow higher by 20 points, a record there. NASDAQ also uh, actually not a record for the Dow. 26,068, still a while to go on the Dow, but NASDAQ is at a record up five now, higher by about one-tenth of 1%. And European equity. Uh, mixed picture there, the uh, uh, FTSE 100 in London up five-tenths of 1%. Germany's DAX uh, lower today by just about one-tenth of 1%. Lots going on, uh, specifically on the trade front, as the U.S. and Mexico work on a new trade deal that will replace NAFTA. President Trump doesn't want us using the word NAFTA anymore. Uh, President Trump, though, uh, announcing the agreement in a call with his Mexican counterpart yesterday. This is something that's very special for our manufacturers and for our farmers from both countries, for all of the people that work for jobs. It's also great trade and it, it makes it a much more fair bill. And uh, we are very, very excited about it. And all of this is uh, negotiations uh, scheduled to begin with Canada. President Trump speaking with Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The White House saying they agreed to continue uh, what were called, quote, productive conversations on trade. Well, joining us now to talk about trade and a lot of the other issues uh, going on in U.S. markets right now, Vince Signorella, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst here in New York, Michael McKee, international economics and policy correspondent for Bloomberg. Michael McKee, you've just wrapped up a fascinating interview. Uh, tell me a little bit about who you were talking to, a Mexican government official, and what were some of the key takeaways from that conversation? 
Well, we just finished uh, talking with Ildefonso Guajardo here on Bloomberg Radio, uh, who is the Mexican economy minister and the chief NAFTA negotiator, trying to get a little more detail on what was agreed to between the United States and Mexico. A couple of things uh, that were important that came out of that. Uh, I asked Secretary Guajardo if Mexico would go ahead with a bilateral agreement with the U.S. if Canada does not make an agreement. And he said they have not decided. They will have to make that decision once uh, they see what Canada is going to do. Uh, He did say that um, a couple of things that still need to be decided uh, for the Canadians is uh, the the, uh, dispute resolution, Chapter 19, that's important to them. In, In the current NAFTA, you have arbitration panels decide when there is a trade dispute and the U.S. wanted to get rid of that. They have to decide on procurement, how much of each country's uh, government contracts other countries can bid on, and they have to uh, decide on uh, the dairy issues between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, and Canada rather, where Canada has some uh, subsidies and uh, uh, quotas that uh, prohibit or at least limit the amount of uh, imports of dairy products into Canada. Uh, But he thinks that uh, it should be a three-way pact. Uh, We also asked, and uh, I'm sure Vince is going to be interested in this, about uh, what uh, the U.S. is calling a strong forex intervention uh, part of the treaty. And uh, the secretary said, you know, we're not accusing each other of uh, intervention in the currency markets, but this is meant to send a message to other countries in other forums about currency manipulation. And it's uh, also to help uh, in the situation where people are buying or selling the peso as a uh, as a as a hedge in other transactions. All right, Vince, jump in on that. The loony and the peso. Yeah, very much. I, uh, well, as Mike said, you know, the the way the uh, president's negotiators go. For what we know, this is a, a veiled threat towards China about manipulating the currency. We have seen the peso weaken considerably, though. It's down another one percent today. So part of the the picture is if the peso should continue to weaken, they probably like some cooperation on the part of the Mexican government to offset that in order to keep the trade situation balanced. What is it that's driving U.S. equity markets today? Is this all about trade or follow through from yesterday? I think it's been going on for about the better part of last week and this week. We've had a better trade sentiment overall. It started with Mexico. There's a lot of hope the Canadians will jump on board. We did see a little pushback from the administration about China, but then they're still waffling on that. We may or we may not. In general, there's just been a better risk sentiment. It's a bit of a sell-off in emerging markets today, but that's been going up for a couple of days, so it's just a little bit more of a give and take. I think in general, there seems to be a better feel that the trade negotiations are going to be resolved and that global growth will... um, come back to the fore and all of these tensions will subside. Uh, Michael, quick question about the interview that you just wrapped up. The economy minister, there's an incoming administration in Mexico. How does that perhaps, if at all, change anything that might have come out of that conversation? Well, the Mexicans are saying it didn't, although there is some concern because the newly ele- the, the new president-elect, uh, President uh, Lopez Obrador, 
uh, is a leftist who has uh, campaigned on a populist platform, and there was some fear that he would want to make changes in the agreement, and that is one of the reasons that the U.S. and Mexico are trying to get Canada into this as quickly as possible, and they want to agree to something by Friday. I'm not sure that's possible, but uh, they need to do that if they are going to get the measure signed before the current president, Enrique Peña Nieto, leaves office on December 1st. All right. The other interesting story today, this one out of Washington, a presidential tweet involving Google. Uh, in an early morning tweet, the president said only negative stories about him are coming up in Google searches. He called it a very serious situation that will be addressed. Michael McKee, I'm going to toss this to you simply because we had uh, the, the, the White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, uh, answering a question about the tweets, saying that the administration is, quote, going to do investigations and analysis. All of this perhaps part of a larger beef given what happened with Amazon that the president has with Silicon Valley? Uh, this all seems to have stemmed from uh, the uh, folks at Twitter taking off Alex Jones, the guy from Infowars that uh, spreads false stories uh, on on Twitter and other social media platforms. And the president seemed to be upset about that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he called for an investigation. I don't know exactly how Google's algorithms worked. Google put out a statement saying that they they are not set up to prejudice anything, and supposedly their algorithms just look for the stories that most people are interested in and that uh, that get searched for the most. Um, so I don't I don't know if there's any validity to it. I suspect not. But the the one thing I would say in terms of the president's tweet and threat is the First Amendment. I don't know how uh, you would uh, be able to take any action. Uh, against against uh, Google or anybody else. Yeah, Vince, any market implications here from a trader's perspective? I mean, how worried should Google be? I'm looking at the stock. It is down by four-tenths of 1% right now uh, as a result of what the president's saying and Larry Kudlow's saying. Well, I mean, we saw this with Amazon, where uh, Trump went after Amazon, and there was a temporary sell-off in the stock. And I think if the same result happens and the resolution is... You know, I think you'll see the resolution basically similar. The, the 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 tweets are more than likely unfounded. I mean, I again, as Mike said, I do not know how Google sets up their search engine. Uh, they say that it's based on freshness and diversity of the stories, and if that is what it is, then as the stories come out, they move to the top of the line. Um, the president's criticism notwithstanding, this is most likely a, just a temporary setback for the, the stock, and we'll probably see a rebound the way we saw Amazon rebound. All right. Again, uh, Alphabet shares uh, down four-tenths of 1% right now. I should point out that year-to-date, this stock is up 18.2%. To give you some context there, NASDAQ up by 16.3%. S&P, little change right now, up by half a point. Checking European markets, FTSE 100 up five-tenths of 1%. CAC uh, in Paris up by one-tenth of 1%. DAX having a down day down by one-tenth of 1%. Coming up, going to be talking about some of the day's economic data, specifically uh, consumer confidence measures out. This is The Cable on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. 
And we are back as the cable continues right here on DAV. Charlie Pellet along with Michael McKee, uh, international economics and policy correspondent for Bloomberg All Around Good Guy. Uh, also a great guy, Vince Signorella, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst uh, here in New York. want to talk briefly about some of the U.S. economic data out today. Consumer confidence unexpectedly rising to an almost 18-year high. Conference board says a greater share of those surveyed expect to buy big ticket items, including houses, cars, and major appliances within six months. Michael McKee, how much credit does the White House get or deserve for this number? Uh, well, they get credit in the sense that if people are buying because they got a tax cut and they're spending their extra money, that's good news. Um, but it's a little hard to separate out the uh, cyclical aspect to this. The economy has been getting better. Unemployment is uh, basically at uh, 4% or a little under, and therefore um, more people have more money to spend. So uh, you would expect that we would see spending rise anyway. Uh, so it's a little hard to separate things out. But the way these things go, when the economy is good, the president who is in office gets credit. And when the economy is bad, the president who is in office uh, gets the blame. Presidents tend to think the former is good and the bad is unfair. The latter is unfair, but that's the way it <laughs> well, is. My, uh, Vince, clearly President Trump has hitched his wagon to a rising stock market, and he's been talking up the market and saying, look how good I'm doing because the market's doing good. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. The statement you just made, Charlie, introing this, was exactly what I was looking at is that consumers anticipate purchasing homes, cars, and major appliances. And if you look at the housing market, the auto market, and durable goods so far this year, they're all on a decline. So the fact that they are anticipating purchasing these items is just going to perhaps steady the decline in this these consumer indexes, not uplift them, shall I say, or lift them higher. So I'm I'm a little caught between the sentiment index and the real inf data that doesn't really match up in these two things. So it'd be interesting to see what what the next one or two data points bring out because if this is true, we should expect to see a turnaround in auto sales, home sales, and durable goods. And so far, we're not seeing that. Look to see what the numbers look at next month, and if they don't turn around, then I could say well, we might as well ignore this consumer sentiment index. I would just say that hitching forward. your wagon to the stock market is dangerous because, as we know, stocks go up and stocks go down, and eventually the market will go down for a while at least. And uh, you don't want to be uh, self-identified with that aspect of it. What then are the implications, potential implications for the midterm elections? Because obviously you would rather have the stock market higher than lower. You would rather have lower unemployment than higher unemployment. Well, the interesting thing so far in the polls that we have seen, the tax cuts do not play well. People seem to be more focused on the fact that they're creating big deficits than that they're putting money in people's pockets. That could change by November. The more people have money in their extra money in their pockets, the more uh, enthusiastic they might get. Um, the stock market doesn't really usually have an effect. People sort of think the Dow Jones, because the media beats on it so much, um, uh, signals something about the economy when, when we know it doesn't. But uh, overall, uh, the economy is, all, we always say it's the economy, stupid, but um, the economy doesn't seem to be playing the biggest role at this moment in the midterm elections. And that may be because we have such an unusual presidency that, that it really is a referendum on him rather than 
uh, the policies that he's put in place. Come election day then, or the midterm elections, people voting with what's happening with unemployment, the economy, the stock market, or with what is happening, as Michael says, with, with the unusual president. I, I think Mike just hit it on the head prior, um, right after all of this stuff has been coming down about Trump. Um, Bannon made an interesting comment, and he said, this, more than any other time, will be a a statement on the presidency of the United States in the midterms. If you like Donald Trump, you will vote Republican Congress. Keep it as it is. Keep things going. If you are concerned with he as the president for all of the news that's come out with uh, Manafort, Cohen, et cetera, then you will vote Democrat to put the, the screws to him and make it difficult for him to succeed in the next two years. So be interesting to see if he was right. All right. When the conversation continues, I uh, want to talk a little bit more about the U.S. economy and also the flattening yield curve. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says he's not at all concerned. We've got more coming up as The Cable continues. You're listening to The Cable Live on DAB. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. The cable continues. Charlie peddled in for Jonathan Farrow. He's on vacation on holiday all this week. U.S. equities pushing higher. European equities, mixed picture there. FTSE 100 up today by about five tenths of one percent. Tenured on eight thirty seconds with a yield there two point eight seven percent. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says he is quote not at all concerned about the flattening yield curve. Speaking on uh, CNBC, he said a flat yield curve is actually quote a good thing at a time when the U.S. government is ramping up debt sales to fund widening budget deficits. That view, of course, in contrast with President Trump, who has criticized Fed Chair Jerome Powell's increases in the central bank's policy rate. We're back with Vince Signorella, Bloomberg's macro squawk analyst in New York, Michael McKee, international economics and policy correspondent for Bloomberg Radio and Television. Michael McKee, the link between an inverted yield curve and recession set in stone? Not set in stone, but uh, fairly uh, robust. The San Francisco Fed put out a study yesterday. Some researchers looked at this and say it really is a coincident sign of a, a imminent recession. They did say they don't know whether it's the signaling that uh, the economy is bad, so the bond market is uh, inverting the yield curve, or whether it's because the Fed thinks the economy is too good and is stepping on the brakes and inverting the yield curve. They can't decide who's to blame, but they do say it does measure. Now, the interesting thing uh, about it is we always look at the 210 uh, spread, and they said the three-month 10-year is the one to watch. That's the one with the most predictive power. All right. Uh, Vince Signorella, what do you watch, and what about the link? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is the Canadian 10-year, 30-year went inverted last night. So if the Canadians aren't worried, why should we be? <laughs> but um, no, I think I think the Fed is absolutely not worried at all. Uh, Bostic did a full turnaround in the last week by first once saying that if the yield curve were going to invert, he would not raise rates, and then said followed up a day before Jackson Hole and said, it's not that big a deal. There are so many other things we look at. Um, Kaplan compared the inversion to the Fed funds rate to the 10-year, which suggests there's another 75 basis points to go before he would say the yield curve is inverted, as opposed to the twos, tens, which is about 20 basis points. The, the problem with the yield curve now is that Treasury is issuing so much in the short end, and the Fed is hiking rates, and the market's determinant path of economic growth further out, given the deficits, et cetera, is less than where the U.S. government would like it to be and probably less than where the Fed is predicting it to be. And so therein lies the potential inversion. And 
frankly, the likely inversion of the curve. Um, whether or not it points to a recession, I think Mike says the odds are probably pretty good. Maybe not imminent, but if we continue down the current path of very high deficits, very high current account deficits, very high trade deficits, and the like, it is more likely than not that it eventually catches up with us. Uh, Michael Mnuchin, by the way, also praising uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell, saying, quote, he is a phenomenal leader. Uh, does a remark like that perhaps put him on a collision course with his boss, President Trump? Oh, if he's not on a collision course already, I don't know that that's going to do it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it obviously Who is it? you know, is a difference between the views of Donald Trump and the views of Steve Mnuchin. But I think the secretary is uh, sort of under a market obligation to walk that back a little bit and suggest that the Fed is an independent agency and the administration is not going to in, in, interfere. If, they, if the, the market never believed Donald Trump. Um, when he was saying that, and uh, they just felt he was venting. And if they ever did believe it, then you could have some real problems. So I think uh, Secretary Trump is just, uh, Secretary Mnuchin is just trying to reassure the markets that we are have not changed policy. Well, let, let me let me just try to clarify a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the president's comments came in the Hamptons to a group of bankers people who were his supporters. Was this just an offhanded remark and not intended to in any way reflect official policy? I wasn't there. I don't know. But my guess is it was. And he, you know, if you if you follow his tweets, he tends to vent a lot uh, about things and um, then not follow up. And he has given no indication that he's going to do anything about the Fed. Um, and, you know, the idea that uh, higher interest rates are not the best possible thing for stimulating growth. Uh, you may not want to stimulate growth that much because of uh, inflation. But, uh, you know, you can understand why the president would say, I, I want the lowest interest rates possible. Be be between you and Kathleen Hayes, when you guys were out in Jackson Hole, how much did the issue of Fed independence come up? Was that is this is this a media-created issue, or were Federal Reserve officials talking either on the record or off the record about Fed independence? It's largely a media-created issue. I mean, we go out there and ask them about that. Correct. It's the, it's the so's your mother uh, school of interviewing, I guess, <laughs> uh, because the Fed isn't going to back down. And there is nothing they can possibly say. I mean, <laughs> they all give the same answer. No, it's not going to affect us. We're here to do a job and we will follow our mandate and, and do the job. If they ever said something different, imagine what Vince's boys would be doing on the trading desk. So <laughs> they're not, they're not going to say anything. Plus the fact that there's nothing the president can really do. I mean, you can only fire a Fed governor for cause and disagreement about interest rates would not be seen as cause. He can't fire he has no impact on the Fed Bank presidents. Uh, the one thing he could do is not renominate Jay Powell for another term. But Trump would have to be reelected first because ter Powell's term runs beyond uh, Trump's term in office, first term in office. Well, what's the early indication in your world, currency traders, currency desks, what are they saying about the job that Jay Powell's doing? I, I think they love what Jay Powell's doing. He's been the most pragmatic I would say not readable in a sense, but um, a forthright uh, Fed official that we've had in a long, 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 long time who has not given us so many tea leaves to read, but has come straight out and said, we are, I think he's the most data dependent Fed 
uh, chair that we've seen in a while. And he's flat out said, if the rate, if the economy continues on a certain path, if inflation continues on a certain path, expects us to gradually raise rates. If it doesn't, we will reconsider our position. No ifs, ands, or buts. So he's he's made the job easier for rates traders and for currency traders to, to see what's coming next. That is the final word. Vince Signorella, thank you so much for joining us. Bloomberg's Macro Squawk Analyst here in New York, Michael McKee, International Economics and Policy Correspondent for Bloomberg. Thank you for joining us on the program today. Coming up, uh, we have got a look at the markets. Also, Dave Wilson will be stopping by to bring us up to date. This is The Cable on DAB. DAB.